This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Hey, it's Peter Dugan, and thanks for taking in our podcast. Recording the unusual and inspiring show you're about to hear was such a pleasure. But as you might imagine, it wasn't free. So if you can, please reach out to us with a contribution at fromthetop.org. Thanks so much, everyone. And here's the program.
That was the Sphinx Virtuosi performing Every Voice by Xavier Foley as the opener for this week's From the Top, the show where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan, and today's program is a little different than usual. We're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Sphinx organization, one of America's most vital and visionary music organizations, and a great friend of From the Top. So here's how this all came about. Early last year, we went to a concert in California that just knocked our socks off. There was on-stage storytelling, a wide range of repertoire, incredible style, all things that we just love here at From the Top. So the ensemble was the Sphinx Virtuosi. Now, they are a self-conducted string orchestra made up of young professional musicians of color. And we recognized a lot of their faces because after 20 years of collaboration, there are many from the top alums in the Sphinx community. We walked out knowing that we just had to share this concert with you. It was that good. So we went back to hear them at the next stop on their tour in Boston at the Gardner Museum, and we recorded that performance to share with you. So let me tell you what Sphinx is all about. Their mission is to transform lives through the power of diversity in the arts. And as I said, this year they are celebrating their 25th anniversary season. We are thrilled to share excerpts of this concert with you on the radio, and we hope you'll go out and hear them in person in your city as they head out on their 25th anniversary tour. Heading up this powerhouse organization as president and artistic director these days is the fabulous Afa Dworkin. I reached out to her to chat about the big anniversary year and the Sphinx organizational journey. Afa, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me today. You know, we hear about Sphinx from our young musicians all the time. It's such a major source of inspiration for so many of them. So if you would, just take me back in time to the founding of the organization. How did Sphinx begin? How did the adventure really take off and why? Yeah, <laughs> we will revert back more than 25 years ago at a time where I will say that um, the language surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion just didn't exist in classical yeah. music, right? Folks were not very conscious about representation, about inclusion of voices. None of that was part of the vernacular. Mm -hmm. uh, what there was was an undergraduate student at the University of Michigan's School of Music Theater and Dance, Aaron Dworkin, now my life partner at the time, my stand partner in the <laughs> violin studio, um, who himself was a multiracial violinist, but to the world, he was Black. Um, mm -hmm. So he would share uh, kind of this narrative of growing up the only person of color in any musical setting or one of less than a handful. Um, so as the one difference is, as I heard him share those experiences, he actually chose to do something about it, even while an undergraduate student. So Sphinx was launched uh, in 1997, actually, while Aaron was still an undergraduate student in violin performance at the University of Michigan. And it was launched literally with the idea of creating an avenue of opportunities and possibilities, much like what he had as a young violinist for other aspiring, emerging string musicians of color. And the idea was not, uh, I think it's very important to point out that the idea was not necessarily to um, establish an affirmative action mechanism. It was really, um, really about artistic excellence and access to opportunities for deserving musicians who were already performing at a high level, but perhaps didn't have that uh, the pathway, the avenue, the trajectory toward exposure, toward learning, toward advancement. Right. So Sphinx Competition was just that. It was this initial um, an introductory program that would that would do that. Um, so I became Sphinx's first intern who never left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a beautiful story and so happy that now here you are leading the organization yourself. What new ventures are you most excited about? I'm excited about so much. Of course, I'm tremendously excited that here 25 years later, Sphinx is also delving into very intentionally um, the executive leadership um, opportunities among black and brown leaders. So four years ago, four, four and a half years ago, Sphinx launched Sphinx Lead, which is an executive leadership program that's empowering 
the existing talent among the ranks of Black and Latino leaders across the country and is trying to create a pathway for them to advance in the administrative ranks um, and really help them establish themselves as C-suite and executive leaders in performing arts institutions across the country and really the world. And I think ultimately we believe that will lead to different standards in artistic excellence, in programming, in access and a different reality for our young musicians as they pave a way toward their careers as well. I love it. Well, we're just so pleased that we're able to partner up with you all for this episode and to help you celebrate your anniversary. Thanks for letting us be a part of that ride. And thanks for taking some time out of your incredibly busy schedule today to chat with me, Atha. My pleasure. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for the wonderful and authentic partnership over the years. That was Afa Dworkin, President and Artistic Director of Sphinx. We are celebrating 20 years of From the Top's collaboration and partnership with the Sphinx organization and featuring music from their live concert in Boston from their 2021-2022 tour. Here they are performing the first movement of Samuel Coleridge-Taylor's composition for Novelettin. <laughs>
Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. From BritBox, with the goal of helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original series Archie, The Man Who Became Cary Grant, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. I'm Peter Dugan, and today's From the Top celebrates the 25th anniversary of Sphinx, a powerhouse social justice organization dedicated to transforming lives through the power of diversity in the arts. The music you're hearing is from a live performance in Boston from their 2021-2022 tour. From the Top has partnered with Sphinx for over 20 years, and yes, indeed, we've featured scores of fantastic performers who are part of the Sphinx community of musicians. We're going to meet two of them on today's program, starting with Bill Neary. Bill's a violist with the Sphinx Virtuosi, and he was on From the Top as a teenager. These days, in addition to touring as a musician, Bill serves as the manager of ensemble advancement and artist engagement at Sphinx. He and I sat down together to catch up a couple of weeks ago. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I know that you are in a leadership position now with Sphinx, including managing the Sphinx Virtuosi, among other ensembles. But what I'm curious about right now is, do you remember your very first experience with the Sphinx organization? Oh, yeah. Um, I wish I could say it was like yesterday, even though it was like so, so, so many years ago. I was (laughs) at one of the first Sphinx Performance Academies Uh, hosted at the Walnut Hill School for the Arts. I believe I attended two consecutive summers there. And the Sphinx Performance Academy is the, um, you know, education project uh, led by our education department for younger Mm -hmm. folks, middle school, high school age kids. And it since then has grown into, you know, such a bigger enterprise. But then it was really just um, like a week of an intensive, you know, summer camp hosted by the Sphinx organization at Walnut Hill. And uh, the faculty were Sphinx competition laureates and alumni and winners. And I got to, you know, work with folks that I now work with in a more professional capacity. Uh, But back then I was just learning how to, how to hold a bow and play in tune and things Hmm. like that. But um, that was my first exposure to Sphinx. And it was not just that, it was also my first exposure to, uh, high level string playing of any kind at all. So I yeah. started from this space of always having this, um, it was always synonymous of having a high level of play and musicians of color. Like I didn't really have any uh, barrier between those two things. Um, right. So it was a really interesting for me just to to dive into that and just be, a, my, my jaw was like on the floor, like hearing people play Zagan for the first time or Ravel string quartet. I had no idea people yeah. could play at that level. Um, so it was great to see that. Uh, and then, uh, because of that exposure to, to Walnut Hill through uh, the Sphinx organization, I then applied to attend the, the boarding high school there and spent my junior and senior years of high school at Walnut Hill. And that was all introduced through Sphinx. And from there, uh, I continued practicing a lot. And then I was exposed to uh, other high-level playing and what you know conservatory uh, pursuits could look like. And the rest is kind of history. Right. We're hearing so much beautiful music today from the performance you all gave at the Gardner Museum. Is there a particular piece among this repertoire that was stirring or powerful for you to be a part of? Yeah, totally. So the, um, I mean, every single piece on this program is moving in its own way. Um, The Florence Price Andante Cantabile is the piece that I introduce um, on on the tour. You know, I talk about it a little bit at every stop, and I, I mention like what's going on and all that kind of stuff in the music. And there, I, I, I talk about it, and it was it, it's a real story. Then when when we were rehearsing uh, the price, um, you know, with every kind of piece, to, especially with in chamber music, to get out of like the binary of loud, fast slow uh, types of like qualities of what we're trying to aim for. We want to think of characters Mm -hmm. and colors and to have a a much broader sense of what we're striving for, but at the same time, very specific approach, Um, but not one that is limited to, you know, how many uh, micro decibels you're performing, you're, 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 you're playing your C string at or something like that. So um, we were 
thinking about how, like, what is the setting? What is the, the color of this piece? And I was drawn to the comment of somebody that said, this is like, you know, you're kind of sitting on a rocking chair on the patio and you're in, you know, some country farmhouse overlooking a farm and like the sun is just rising and it's got like that kind of like morning mm. heat to mm -hmm. the day. Like it's like, you know, late August, something like that. And, you know, things are, are hot, but things are slow. Mm. And there's like this like kind of gluey feel to the air. And the, the way the piece is, is structured, there's like this beautiful lyrical melody that is passed around uh, throughout the, the movement. Uh, but all the while there is like this uh, harmony, this rich, uh, like long arcing kind of like pedal that is, um, that is like stretching out throughout the, the movement. And it feels like, you know, you're just like trudging through a, a very dewy, humid summer morning. Mm. Um, and for whatever, I mean, someone just like mentioned like, oh, this feels like, you know, summer morning. And that just like lit something in my, my imagination. And I, I just turned it into like this whole painting. And, and that's kind of what we talk about when we're trying to figure out how to take this piece to the next level. We're using that type of language and those ideas and not so much like, I think the second beat should be louder. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we, we say that kind of stuff, but it, what matters more is that we're conveying the image that we all uh, kind of embody and, and agree with. We'll now hear the piece Bill describes so poetically. Here's the Sphinx Virtuosi performing string quartet number two in A minor by Florence Price, the second movement.
The Sphinx Virtuosi performed the Andante Cantabile movement from Florence Price's String Quartet No. 2 in A minor. All show long, we'll be listening to music performed by the Sphinx Virtuosi live in Boston from their 2021-2022 tour. The Virtuosi is the flagship Sphinx ensemble made up of some of the top Black and Latinx soloists touring today. However, on the other end of the spectrum of programming that the Sphinx organization puts out there is something called Sphinx Overture. Sphinx Overture is a free training program for absolute beginners. We went to Detroit to find out more about it. My name is Leslie DeShazor. I am a freelance musician and teacher in the, De- in the Detroit area, and I have been teaching for the Sphinx Overture program for about... 11 years now in Southwest Detroit. My name is Ashley Aspetia. I am 14 years old and I play violin. I've been doing so for around six years. I started in second grade in elementary school. Overture is a beginning violin program that we take into the schools. We have several programs in Detroit and also in Flint. The goal is to get a violin into the hands of any kid who wants to learn and provide lessons and an instrument with no charge to the families. I love uh, Overture because the staff and the workers there are are really accepting and they really do help you get to that point where you wanna go, even if if you're struggling with it as well. Um, When I was younger, when I was taking Overture lessons, I was really bad at it. But Miss Leslie and Miss Ashley kept on pushing me and now I'm here playing for Symphonia Civic Youth Ensemble and I'm playing with a huge orchestra for a bunch of people. And I am really grateful of how 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 hard they pushed me. Overture is very important because of many factors. The first thing would be that we're providing opportunity that would not ordinarily be there. That's for me the first, the first thing. But also I think it builds I think it builds their their character. Um I don't want to be too presumptuous and act like we're just like making them the most amazing humans from that one year. But I think a lot of the things you learn when you're learning to play an instrument, it doesn't translate as an obvious thing when you first start. But a lot of the things that you that you learn when you're playing an instrument translate into other areas of life. Right, like the ability to stick with something even when it's not fun. Be able to stick with something when you don't like how you sound. Be able to see that eventually you'll get better. Um, Being able to present for people, do things in front of people. After lessons and classes, I usually feel like I want to go home and just show my mom what I like learned that day. But also at some times I feel tired and then I want to go to bed. <laughs> I do want to learn another instru- a new instrument because I mean, I have been wanting to learn one, not just like any regular uh, tapping my hands on the table or anything, like an actual instrument, no recorders, because cause those hurt my ears. I had to do recorder for sixth grade. I did not like that. <laughs> Overture has been a great learning source for me. I have been forced to better understand the learning process, how people learn and why they learn. And really it comes down to want, desire. (laughs) So what Overture has taught me is to help facilitate the desire and the want and put less focus on the teaching. Leslie DeShazor and Ashley Espetia sharing stories from Overture, the Sphinx organization's beginning music program in Detroit and Flint, Michigan.
Peter Dugan here, host of From the Top. And like Sphinx, From the Top has multiple programs that champion and support young artists. For instance, our scholarship program. From the Top and the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation have awarded over $3 million to young musicians with financial need. You can apply at fromthetop.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From BritBox, where viewers can stream new seasons of British detective series, including Vera, Father Brown, Death in Paradise, and more. Available at BritBox.com NPR. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. From NPR, it's From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan, and today we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Sphinx organization with performances by their flagship ensemble, the Sphinx Virtuosi. We'll hear them now perform Banner by contemporary American composer Jesse Montgomery. As Montgomery herself describes it, this composition grapples with the question, what does an anthem for the 21st century sound like in today's multicultural environment?
We heard Banner by Jesse Montgomery, performed by the Sphinx Virtuosi, the self-conducted chamber orchestra of the Sphinx organization. We heard them perform that live in Boston and just knew we had to share that incredible music with all of you. I'm pianist Peter Dugan, and I'm so grateful to be able to be with you today as host of From the Top. Thanks to the generosity of Susan and Gerald Slavitt, who have sponsored my position on today's show and every show this season. I also want to thank the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston for hosting our recording session of the Sphinx Virtuosi in their excellent performance space, Calderwood Hall. As we heard earlier in the program, Sphinx began as a competition for Black and Latinx string players, and since 1999, From the Top has featured many laureates of that competition. I sat down with one of those laureates and the principal cellist of the Sphinx Virtuosi, Thomas Mesa. I find the chemistry of the group pretty stunning, just the way everything gels. Why do you think the group clicks so well? We share cultural experiences, and not just cultural experiences, but also being on tour, being on the road, like as you know, um, bonding with your partner or partners that you're performing with uh, really dictates in a way like how things go on stage. And, you know, as, as much as we, we want to say that that doesn't matter or shouldn't matter, it really does. I mean, what we do is so personal. You know, we're working very intensely, but we're also working intensely on being together as people not just as musicians in a in a rehearsal room and i think that has to do with how much we enjoy being with each other and sharing similar cultural values uh and bringing that to our performances it's it's la familia like we <laughs> we love being around each other and i think that's one of the things that really is wonderful like that rehearsing and bonding mhm yeah. And then when you do come together, of course, it's without a conductor. Talk a little bit about life in a large ensemble without the presence of a conductor there. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing, you know, these days, some incredible ensembles being conductorless. Uh, and we really model ourselves off of, you know, people like Orpheus, you know, a far cry. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they look at us and, and you know, they see what we're doing as well. And, and we, we feed off of each other's energy in that way. And like with programming and with, you know, how we feel on stage is an independent entity without necessarily a leader. Right. Like yeah. we have a we have a concert mistress or a concert master. Um, but in a sense, like we don't just follow that person. And I think that's, you know, that's key in that everybody is leading from the back. Everybody is acting as one, uh, one giant amoeba of, a, of an <laughs> organism flowing with each other, making sure that, you know, everyone is paying enough attention that any turn or any, or any change in a performance that might feel a little bit different from the night before that we're on top of it and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, on stage in front of people and that's so fresh you know and of course there is that spontaneity with a conductor as well you know like there if a conductor feels a certain way about a passage they'll uh you know they'll move it forward a little bit more or they'll feel like you know this part needs a little bit more sostenuto and you'll see that in their hands and in their body language and in a sense we have to follow our concert mistress and co- or concert master uh in that way Uh, if she's leading, you know, from any given section, but it's not just her or him or they, it is actually, uh, it's everybody. Everybody's involved in the music making. Uh, And that's so, so exciting. Uh, The conductor list thing can be somewhat tricky in a sense that, you know, uh, we don't have somebody running the rehearsal. And so Mm -hmm. the time that we have, you know, a very limited amount of time to rehearse a, a major program for a major tour. We need to make it very effective. And so the principals become a little bit more of a, a more prominent voice in making decisions so that there's, mm-hmm. you know, we have five principals. We have a bass principal as well as the, the normal instruments. So we have five principals who are involved really in making these decisions. Uh, but we don't discourage anyone from from speaking up, even if they're mm-hmm. not principal. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of voices in the room and, and, you know, the challenge is to take all of them, uh, and, and, you know, seriously in a way that we can rehearse the things that are being suggested, but also we don't have all day. And so it it is tough to kind of balance, you know, making sure that we're having everybody have a voice, uh, and which I think we've accomplished pretty well, 
um, but making sure that we're also being effective and efficient. And so that's, that's one of the challenges, but uh, we enjoy that process. It's a tough mm -hmm. process, but we enjoy it because, like I said, in the end, uh, what we do on stage, we are excited by, and we're glad that audiences are also excited by it. And we are definitely excited by this amazing live performance by the Sphinx Virtuosi from their Boston performance of last year's tour. This is Peter Dugan, and if you want to listen to this episode or any episode of From the Top On Demand, you can subscribe to our podcast. It's available at fromthetop.org and on all the major podcast platforms. We'll close the show today with one more performance by the Sphinx Virtuosi. This time they're bringing us into the world of Brazilian composer and violinist Hikaru Hertz. But before we enjoy that, I want to thank the Sphinx organization and all the members of the Sphinx Virtuosi for allowing us to celebrate their 25th anniversary on today's program. And to you, listening on the road, or at home, or sitting alone outside a cafe chomping on a sandwich. Thanks for being here. Please join me next week. And now the Sphinx Virtuosi perform Mourinho by Ricardo Hertz. From the Top is produced by Tim Banker, Megan Swan, and Jessica Tickton. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. Additional recording and editing by Nina Rao. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. Special thanks this week to our dear colleagues at Sphinx. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov.
Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at massculturalcouncil.org. From BritBox, with the goal of helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original series Archie, The Man Who Became Cary Grant, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.